the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, don't ever discount that you are too young or too old to be used by God. Because God loves to use people of all ages. God uses people of all nationalities. God uses people. The only real criteria to be used by the Lord is to be available to Him, to be surrendered to Him. Because God does extraordinary things for His glory through ordinary people. If you've ever volunteered on a Habitat project, then you probably remember hearing the coordinator tell everyone that it doesn't matter what skills they bring to the table. The only requirement is that you are ready and willing to work. Today, Pastor Gary says God operates this way with you as well. He only asks you to be willing and let Him use your talents for His honor and blessings to the world. To the world, you are considered ordinary. But in God's eyes, you are extraordinarily gifted for His purpose. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We are presently in the book of Joshua, and we come here to chapter 12. And Lord willing, we will get through chapter 12, 13, and maybe even a little bit of 14. But for now, our attention here is on chapter 12. And you'll notice in your Bibles, if they are subtitled like mine is, I'm reading from the New King James, the first part of chapter 12 is subtitled, The Kings Conquered by Moses. The second half of chapter 12 is subtitled, The Kings Conquered by Joshua. Now, why is Moses being mentioned here in chapter 12? He's been dead for quite some time now, or, you know, God buried his body and took him home. Well, that's because this is kind of going back in time a little bit. The first half of chapter 12 is recalling the conquests under the leadership of Moses before he turned over that leadership to Joshua. Remember when the people of Israel came up out of slavery from Egypt and they came under the Dead Sea and then around the eastern side of the Dead Sea and then they go into the promised land from east to west. Remember that Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. You kind of feel sorry for the guy in some ways, you know, because here he is for 40 years. He put up with whining, complaining Jewish people throughout the Sinai Peninsula and then he doesn't even get to go into the promised land. And why doesn't he get to go into the promised land? He doesn't get to go in because, listen, he misrepresented God. Because of, he was so exasperated 
He was so exasperated by the whining and complaining of the people. And by the way, I don't make this statement. I have a Jewish friend who one time said, I understand why Moses was upset. He said, have you ever spent any time with whiny, complaining Jewish people? That was a Jewish friend of mine who said that about his own Jewish people. Uh, he, he said, you know, Moses had to spend 40 years with people like me, he said. And he said that he couldn't take any longer. So what happened was... When God said to Moses, speak to the rock that water would come forth for the people, Moses was so tired and frustrated and exasperated, he took his staff and he beat that rock and just beat it to death until finally it brought forth water. But he showed this anger and frustration and God said, you don't represent me. You can't go into the promised land. Now, it's easy for us to feel sorry for Moses and think, wow, he got this close right to the Jordan River, couldn't even cross it and go into the promised land. How sad is that after 40 years of putting up with all these people. You don't even get to enjoy your retirement. (laughs) Well, there's a bigger picture, though, with all of that, you see. Because as I've mentioned before, Moses represents the law. In fact, God used him to write the first five books of the Bible. God communicated his standard of the law through Moses. Moses wrote that down for us. And Moses is a picture of the law of God. But his protege, Joshua, whose name in Hebrew, his full name is Yahashua, meaning the Lord of salvation, the very same name that Jesus was given. Jesus is the Greek transliteration of his Hebrew given name. Joshua's name means the Lord of salvation, and Joshua is a picture of grace, and it is only through the Lord being your Savior that you actually enter into the promised land, you see. And so there's beautiful uh, typology there. The law can only bring you so far. It cannot save you. But Joshua, the one who represents the grace of God, the Lord of salvation, he's the one that leads you into the promised land. And so, just like Joshua led the people into an earthly promised land, Jesus, our Savior, Yahashua, he leads us into the ultimate inheritance that we have in him and the ultimate destination of our reward, which is heaven. And so Moses was not allowed to go in. That said, it is on the eastern side of the Jordan River, which today on a map would be Jordan, the country of Jordan, there Moses, still in leadership, before he turns it over to Joshua, defeats various kings, and we're going to read about that in the first part of chapter 12. The second part of chapter 12 is after Moses then has gone on to the Lord and he hands off the leadership to Joshua, Joshua crosses the Jordan River with the Israelites going into the western side of the Jordan River, and there he conquers multiple kings too. And we'll see at the end of chapter 12, 31 kings in all. So take a look with me now, chapter 12, verse 1. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, right? That's the east, eastern side of the Jordan River. From the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. Verse 2, one king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Erorer, Erorer, which is easy for you to say, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Kinneroth, which is the Sea of Galilee, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth Jeshimoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants, who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edrei, and and reigned over Mount Hermon. 
over Salka and over Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. You know, look, the Bible is, is a, this is a map that is being laid out for us. These are geographical points to help us understand where the territory is. I know you get what all that meant right there, but we'll move on to verse 6. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it, these rather, these Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, note this, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Now, we'll come back to that. But there are 12 tribes to Israel. Two and a half of those tribes are mentioned right there. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. I'll go to the map in a minute, but keep reading. Verse 7. And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on the side of the Jordan on the west. And so then there's a list here, and I'll be honest with you, I'm going to butcher most of these names. So I'm going to skip through it. If you want to go home and read them for yourself, knock yourself out. But you go all the way down to the end of the chapter, verse 24, the last one, the king of Terza won, and there's a whole list here, and it says, all the kings 31. So... Moses has success on the eastern side of the Jordan River with God's obvious help, and he conquers kings there. Joshua conquers kings, 31 in all, on the western side of the Jordan River because they are laying claim to the territory that God has outlined for them. You know, it's interesting. Muslims always will make the argument that they were there in the land first. But when you look at what we're about to read and what we have already read up to this point, the Jewish people precede Muslims by 2,000 years. 2,000 years, and it is spelled out specifically the territory here as we take a look. Now, into chapter 13, what we're going to see here in chapter 13 is the allotment of the land to the Jewish people, and we're going to see in the succeeding chapters, it all outlines where all these territories lay in regards to these 12 tribes. But I love the way chapter 13 opens. It says, now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, just kind of confirming, you are old, (laughs) advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. So God's not done with him. Now at the end of the book of Joshua, in chapter 24, verse 29, at the very end of the book, Joshua dies. And it tells us in chapter 24, verse 29, that he dies at the age of 110. So It is unclear how old he is here. However, when we get to chapter 14, we're going to see that his buddy Caleb, remember Joshua and Caleb were the only two from their generation to make it into the promised land. Everybody else from their generation died because of their disbelief in the Sinai Peninsula. It would only be their children who would come into the promised land. So Joshua and Caleb are the only two from that generation. And in chapter 14, we find out that Caleb is 85 years of age. So Joshua's probably in that range. He's in his 80s at this point, but he's going to live to be 110. So God's like, you know, I got a good, at least, you know, almost 15 years or 25 years left out of you. So just hang in there because there's more work to be done. So, you know, I don't know if Joshua was ready to be like, you know, I was just hoping to move to the villages in South Florida and draw Social Security, but God's like, not yet. I still got work for you. You know, don't ever discount 
that you are too young or too old to be used by God. Because God loves to use people of all ages. God uses people of all nationalities. God uses people. The only real criteria to be used by the Lord is to be available to him, to be surrendered to him. Because God does extraordinary things for his glory through ordinary people. If God were to choose extraordinary people, then extraordinary people are likely to try to steal the glory. But God often uses ordinary men and women to do his extraordinary work. And so he's not done with Joshua. You got, you got more stuff to do. Verse 2, this is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites. Again, these are all different towns and villages. So I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 6. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Mizrafoth and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out before the children of Israel. This is God speaking. Only divide it, now notice this, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance. Circle that word. We're going to come back to the word inheritance. That's a major point to this chapter. He says, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Next verse, with the other half tribe, the other half tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. Okay, so let me just try to make a little bit of sense of all of this. What we just read here and what we're going to see spelled out in chapter 13 has to do with two and a half tribes of Israel that are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Again, there are 12 tribes, 12 groups among the Israelites who descended from Jacob. You have Abraham, the patriarch, Isaac, his son, Jacob, Isaac's son. Jacob has 12 sons. And each of those sons have descendants. But each of those sons will then be the name of a tribe of Israel. And so their descendants are known by their name as their tribe. Now, there's one little exception here. And that is that Jacob's son, Joseph, gets a double portion. So his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, will take his place. But now... That means if you remove Joseph and you add two, you have more than 12 tribes. Well, another son of Jacob, Levi, from whom will come the Levites, they don't get a land allotment. So Levi is removed, and Joseph is there, but he's removed in the sense that his two sons step up, and they have tribes named after them. So those are the 12 names, and you have two sons... Reuben and Gad, and you have the tribe of Manasseh, but only half are going to be on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The other half of Manasseh, going back to the map, is on the western side of the Jordan River. And then I'm just going to give you, going north to south, these are the other, the remaining names of the 12 tribes of Israel. You have Asher lived in this part of Israel to the north and along the Mediterranean coast. 
Next to Asher was the tribe of Naphtali. This was their land designation, kind of hugging the Sea of Galilee to the north. You have below them the tribe of Zebulun and the allotment to Issachar. And then going further south, underneath the half-tribe of Manasseh, you have Ephraim. And then you have also the tribe of Dan. And then you have Benjamin, and next to below Benjamin and Dan, you have the tribe of Judah. And then in the middle of Judah, you have the tribe of Simeon. So this is how the land allotment gets divided. And as we read through the book of Joshua, we'll revisit all of this. The only part you have to worry about is the eastern side of the Jordan River. The two and a half tribes that are living there is what we're going to read about here now in the rest of chapter 13. So starting in verse 9... It gives the borders. Again, I'm just going to skip through all these names, but these are the boundary markers of the borders for these two and a half tribes. And in verse 13, nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maccathites, but the Geshurites and the Maccathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Interesting note, little side note. King David, nobody was supposed to marry more than one woman, okay? Don't think that just because different people in the Old Testament had multiple wives and concubines that God thought that was okay. It was God's original design in the book of Genesis for one man to marry one woman. But many of them didn't follow God's command when it came to that, and David was one of them. And one of the wives that David had was a Geshurite, She was from a Gesher, mentioned right there, and David would have one of his sons, Absalom, through his marriage to a Gesherite woman, Absalom, 2 Samuel 3.3, it tells us that he had Absalom from a Gesherite wife. Verse 14, only the tribe of Levi, he had given no inheritance The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance as he said to them. Now, we're going to read that statement again. It's not a punishment to the Levites. It's God is saying, listen, you're going to serve me and I'll take care of you. There were different Levitical towns where the priests could live, but they didn't get allotment of land because God was going to be their inheritance. So keep reading, verse 15. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance, here's this word again, according to their families. And we'll skip verse 16. Again, it just lists the territory names that I would butcher. So go down to verse 22. It says, The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Okay, so that section that we just read from verse 15 down to verse 23 have to do with the territory of Reuben that is roughly outlined on the map behind me. And then he describes the land of Gad, so going then to the north Verse 24, Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. You can skip verse 25. It just lists the territory boundaries. The last verse of that section, verse 28, says, This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. And then moving north, you come to the half-tribe of Manasseh, verse 
29. And Moses also had given an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanaim. Uh, so then it keeps referring to the territory names there, the boundaries. And then verse 32, go forward to verse 32. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. Okay, this is all on the east side of the Jordan River. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. So that outlines the territorial allotment to these two and a half tribes located on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They had gotten permission by Moses before Moses was succeeded by Joshua. So all of this was already predetermined under Moses' leadership, and thus they're getting these areas in which to live. I want to point out, though, a couple of things from this 13th chapter. The first one is, I asked you to circle the word inheritance. A couple of things about inheritance. Inheritance, that word appears more than 50 times in the book of Joshua. That is more times than any other book in the Bible. In fact, it appears 13 times just in chapter 13 that we read. And it speaks, of course, of the land allotment divided for the 12 tribes. That said, the word inheritance is also a very important word in the New Testament. Because just as the people of God received an allotment of land as their inheritance, the New Testament speaks of an inheritance for us in Jesus. Typically, an inheritance is only received when someone dies, correct? You don't get an inheritance unless someone dies and leaves you something. This is the idea behind the word inheritance in the New Testament. The one who died was Jesus, and what he left us was an inheritance, and it is literally out of this world. (laughs) The inheritance that we receive in Christ is a new identity in him, the forgiveness of sins by faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, and our ultimate eternal reward, which is to spend eternity with him in heaven. That is our inheritance. And I would be remiss if we only read inheritance in terms of the Old Testament, particularly in a book where the word is mentioned more than any other time, without also talking about our inheritance in the Lord. So I want to shift just briefly to kind of bring all this home, because sometimes people read the Old Testament, they go, explain to me how this has an impact on my life today. All right. A lot of the Old Testament is foreshadowing. It's a picture of the things that are to come. Much of the Old Testament, you see, is laying the groundwork for what we understand in the New Testament. The Old Testament, quote, concealed, is the New Testament, quote, revealed, you see. And so there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that paint a picture of, foreshadow, give us a glimpse of the things that are to come. It's not always a perfect picture. Just like, you know, the idea that Joshua led people into the promised land and the promised land is a picture of heaven. Yeah, but not entirely because in the promised land, they still had some giants to slay. There were still some issues in the promised land on earth, not in heaven. There aren't going to be any issues in heaven. So it's not always a a perfect picture. But when we talk about inheritance, I want to just put up on the screen a couple of Bible verses to remind us of what is ours 
through faith in the Lord. So here's one example. Acts 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you what? An inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message in the book of Joshua again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. While you're there, you'll notice our companion resources. These digital study guides give you some additional insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done. They are completely free for you to use. If this ministry continues to be a blessing to you and you want to listen to more teachings, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person, so come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible right there in Joshua, and we'll plan to study the Word again next time. Thanks so much for listening to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.